This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversation about hidden or silent subjects. Tonight is part of an ongoing series about mental illness, and I'm going to be speaking to Deb about bipolar, trauma, and stigma. Deb is the author of two blogs about mental illness. The first is called Living in Stigma, and the second is her more cherished personal writings. Deb lives with bipolar disorder and has spent years in the past in and out of psychiatric hospitals. She's tried numerous medications, psychotherapy, and electroconvulsive therapy. She does public speaking on mental illness and has published on mental illness in the family. Deb is 54 years old. She's been married for 32 years. She works full-time and lives in Ontario, Canada. She prefers to use her first name only for this interview. Welcome to Safe Space, Deb. Hi, Anne. Thank you. I wanted to start by asking you, I know that you have a diagnosis of bipolar 2, and I wondered if you could start by explaining what is that and how has that affected you? Well, bipolar is, uh, you know, a mood, uh, a mood disorder. Um, I, I sometimes disagree with the doctor, actually. <laughs> I think I just have basically depression, but I have had mania. Actually, it's hypomania. Hypomania is like a lesser mania, uh, more than depression. But I do find that I, I, I am more depressed um, but, you know, the diagnosis, it really means something, but it doesn't mean anything. It's the medication, and I'm on the right medication. After uh, 10 years of being in and out of hospitals, I'm finally on the right medication, and that's what means anything. That's what means, um, the, you know, the, the, that's what means everything is uh, being on the right medication. So, so before we talk about that, although I've, I'm obviously really curious about that, maybe you could say a little bit about you know, the depressive side of it, the what we call the hypomanic side about it. What what have you what have been your experiences with that? Um, the hypo side of it is you know feelings of elation, um, you know just uh, you just not really on top of the world. Once again, I, I really have you know hypomania versus uh, um, major manic depressive or major manic episodes. Um, I'm not really really majorly, um, you know, have never really had a major manic episode. I'm just uh, pretty much on the, uh, you know, the hypomanic. Um, it is a great feeling, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, uh, you know, you feel elated. It's almost like a present in a way, or a prize. And um, But once again, I uh, really experience more depression. Mm-hmm. Um, but the medication, as I say, that I'm on right now, the mood stabilizers um, have done such a good job, and I really have very, very few um, mood problems right now. And so I know we're talking mostly now about the past, but in the past, uh, when you were depressed, maybe you could just describe a little bit about what that felt like and, and what happened to you as a result. Okay, well, um, for anybody out there who's being depressed, they'll definitely ad- identify with this. Um, depression, I mean, I can describe it in so many words, so I'll just use a, flu- a few here. Um, definitely lonely and hopeless and helpless. And uh, for me, it was an emotional and uh, a financial fallout. And uh, it was so life-altering, and I, I, lost, I lost all my uh, self-esteem. I lost all my self-confidence. I lost my career. I lost all my friends. I came close to losing my house, and everything crumbled. So, you know, we, we're going we're gonna to end up by talking about what made a difference and about the medicine and so on. But I understand that you um, were doing quite well, and then you actually went into therapy, a, a move that people generally do because they hope it'll make them feel better. But that in your case, 
your experience in therapy is actually part of what triggered this. And I wondered if you could exactly. tell me a little bit. Exactly. Um, I, uh, I was um, sexually abused as a little girl, and uh, I think throughout um, pretty much my lifetime I have suffered from depression um, here and there um, throughout the years, not major depression. But um, around uh, 1994, I uh, started having flashbacks, and uh, I didn't know what was happening. And they had this... Uh, project in my city that uh, was doing studies on uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is uh, PTSD, and I went into therapy, and I had no idea. I had never been in therapy before, and this just started the ball rolling. I never realized, you know, I don't know if I should have gone through with it, but anyways, I did, and uh, this just started it. So it was actually a study. You were part of a study? Yes, I was. Um, the, the study was for uh, if you were going to do uh, group therapy or if you were going to do um, just uh, one-on-one therapy. And the, um, the therapist who chose me to do the one-on-one, um, frankly, I think she was over her head because my case, I believe, was um, extremely intense. And um, I, I just was so depressed, and it just hit me so badly that it started a, a 10-year stint in and out of hospitals. It was just horrible. You know, it's so painful to imagine that, that here you were both seeking help and even trying to contribute in some way by participating in a study. And it, it Yeah, so I thought it was a doing the right thing. And, and you know, you kind of, um, with therapy, you know, you, you don't know. You, you know, people would have said to me later, why don't you stop? Well, you just kind of keep thinking, you know, well, maybe it's just going to get better. And... and it just got worse. And uh, you think, well, you know, the therapist is, she's a licensed therapist. I mean, what am I supposed to feel like? So, you know, therefore, I just went through with it. And anyways, mm. it was it was not the good thing to do. No, it sounds like it really wasn't. No. Um, you know, part of what was is very moving in your blog, which I encourage people to visit and to to read about, and we'll give the ad- maybe we should give the address now. Actually, why don't you tell sure, people how people can find uh, it? Well, I'll try start off with the HTTP <laughs> dot dot slash slash um, cherished c h e r i s h e d seventy nine dot wordpress one word w o r d p r e s s dot com. And that is, uh, that's my blog. Um, and I have like um, cherished writings, which you can get the same address from that blog. And that just has all my uh, personal writings from it. So part of what I was really struck by by reading it was, you know, one, just the a very high number of, of visitors you've had to the site. It's clear that your blog is very popular and has really hit a nerve for so many people. Um, Yeah, and you know what? I started that blog. Somebody, I had a lot of writings. When I was in the hospital, I kept diaries and journals, and I wrote a lot of things that happened to me. It was all like hospital, uh, what what was happening to me. My life was so bleak. I mean, what else do you do? And um, I just expressed myself so much in these these articles, and um, somebody said, why don't you write a blog? And I didn't even know what a blog was. And I wrote this blog, and it just kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of snowballed from there. And here I have this blog. So it's just really important to me, uh, one of the most important things that I've ever done. One of the things that really struck me was that you have this kind of long period where you're in and out of hospital. You feel bleak. You feel hopeless. You've tried so many medicines. You try, I think it was 77 different 
treatments of electroconvulsive therapy. That's that right, right. That's right. And it really sounds like it just did not help you at all. Yeah, and, and you know, I've kind of been, um, I don't know, I, people have actually, you know, looked at me and said, why would you ever have so many? And, you know, I, I think that's kind of a criticism, and I've actually said to them, you know, if I, was in, if I had cancer and I was having chemotherapy and I had 77 treatments, would you have said the same thing? I mean, each time you have a treatment, you think this is going to be the one. And these doctors are supposed to know what they're doing. And I was so sick. I was so ill. And I was so depressed. I didn't, couldn't even stand up for myself. So I just gave in. I know that ECT is, you know, the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest has had such a profound impact on how people think about ECT. Right as this kind of torture treatment. And I wonder if you could just describe it a little, because I know that for, for some people it really is absolutely life-saving. Well, um, it's, not, it's not really barbaric, uh, I will say that. Um, they actually just kind of wheel you down on a gurney, and um, they put these sort of, not electrodes, but kind of wires on your forehead, and they, you do convulse, so you have, they have the little convulsion um, um, rubber into your mouth, and, uh, you know, and then you're, you're put out. So you're only out for about 10 seconds or 10 minutes, um, maybe not even that, five minutes. I don't know. You're out, so I didn't know how many When many you say you're put out, you mean ge- you had general anesthesia, so you have general no memory General anesthetic, that's right. So um, you're out, and, you know, you're, you're well taken care of. You've got a nurse there. You've got your doctor there. You've got, actually, you've got two nurses there. So, I mean, as I say, it's not barbaric like it used to be. Um, you don't have any caps on your head or anything like that. And, uh, and then you're given, the, um, you're given the ECT. Now, it has worked for some people. I personally did not work for me. I mean, 77, I got a little angry because I thought, you know what, after 25 ECTs, it's not working. I don't think it's going to work. So I was, uh, looking back, that makes me angry. But Mm -hmm. I had long-term memory, though. Lost my long-term memory, I should say. And uh, so. And when you say that, um, Deb, do you mean that you've lost the memory of that time when you were getting the treatment, or do you mean that you've lost memories from before that? I've lost a lot of long-term memory, um, as in I can't remember my wedding. Um, I can't remember a lot of things. I can't remember uh, when I first, um, you know, moved out west. I can't remember uh, when we first moved back. There's a lot of things I can't remember, um, and if I hadn't had my, my journals, which I've kept since I was 15 years old, then I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't known anything. So it's just robbed me in a way. Yeah, it really sounds like that. So there's been this permanent loss to mm-hmm. you because of it, without much benefit. Exactly. Without yeah, without no benefit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so there you are. You 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 are willing. I mean, what's striking to me is you're so trusting. You really really mm-hmm. w- believe that people could help you, and you were willing, and you tried things so earnestly. And then what turned it around? I mean, after 10 years of suffering like that, what happened? After, after 10 years, um, <clears throat> well, they really deemed me uh, medication-resistant. And uh, it just so happens the uh, psychiatrist I had, um, he wasn't doing nothing. He basically was so busy. He, you know, when I was in the hospital, he would see me like possibly even four days. I, I, I barely saw the man. But he went on holidays, and I had uh, another doctor see me, and because um, I had went through a lot of psychiatrists during my stays, and he came in and uh, he said he wanted to, um, you know, he was uh, he was filling in for this doctor, and he said that um, he wanted to interview me for about an hour and a half, and I just about fell off the floor, like no doctors even wanting even to bother with me, 
so I talked to this man, and uh, he uh, he was seemed very interested in me, and uh, I was so appreciative of that. And I actually asked his resident if he could take me on as a full time patient, and life just just changed, and that's how I got well. So powerful, isn't it? So that the the impact of someone genuinely caring and wanting to exactly know you. and wants to help you, not you know just kind of. I mean, I don't think the other psychiatrists deliberately did not want to help me, but just didn't have the time. And here's this man who um, I think could see. He told me later he said he could see a glimmer of hope that I wanted to get well. So that's why he wanted to spend the time, and he took time, and I. Uh, I, you know, he gave me some uh, suggestions. I took his suggestions, and basically, I was well in about two years. Now, what kind of suggestions? What What, what are some examples? Um, of things he's he very big on uh, do not like when you're in the hospital. Uh, you know, when you're depressed, you are, you know, you don't feel like doing anything. You just feel like laying on your bed. Well, he does not like that. You know, it was like a half an hour on your bed. But when I got out, um, he basically said, I want you to do the following things. I want you to get up. I want you to have a shower. I want you to get out of the house every day. And he said, even if you got up and showered and walked to the end of the driveway, that's fine. You've done something for the day. And then he got me involved in um, occupational therapy at the hospital. And, uh, you know, I went to the hospital every, I think, second day, did that. And uh, I just started coming around and he put me on the right medications and uh, and to make a long story short I went back to work so I can't believe it it's really such a powerful story thank goodness that you and he found each other I know and you know I think to myself 10 years wasted and here this man <laughs> this doctor you know in two years just put me back together again and uh I went back to work, and uh, the other doctor that I had actually said, uh, you'll never work again. You'll, you'll just never work again. You're too, you know, you, ha- you have depression, you have major depression, you'll never go ahead. And, and he, he, I proved them wrong, so. I mean, right there, just feel, I could feel my blood boil just hearing you say that. Well, you know what, that actually was my driving force, because I said, you know what, I am going to go back to work again, and I did. Right, so you proved him wrong. That was, that was sort of part of the motivation. It, it was motivation for sure because when I went, you know, the doctor, my doctor said, you know, I only want you to go back uh, to work uh, part-time. And I said, no, I am going back to work full-time. So I was kind of a little bit on the uh, stubborn side. So I went out and, uh, and I got myself a full-time job. So, so I, I didn't was... do very well, <laughs> but I got a full-time job. Well, that was that was the start, right? That's right. So you know your your blog is t- is called Living in Stigma, and I want to talk a little bit now about that because we in our culture there is so much stigma about mental illness and about psychiatric hospitals and certainly about ECT. Also, was it hard for you to believe in yourself and go out and get a job after all that you've been through? It was. It wasn't hard uh, for the job, but uh, you know I, I've been there for five and a half years at my company right now. And one person knows about my illness. I have not shared with anybody because I really don't trust anybody. And uh, number two, I don't think, I don't want it all, you know, spread around the company. I, I work for a huge company, and I just don't want it shared. I'm um, a, in collections. So can you imagine if I yelled at a customer or did whatever? They'd probably think, oh, here she goes. So I don't want anybody to know, and I think that's pretty bad for five and a half years working at a company, and you can't even share how you feel, um, you know, to anybody. 
And what would be your fear if you did about what would happen? I think my fear would be, I think I would be embarrassed. And, and, you know, and I know that's not right. I know that I shouldn't be embarrassed over an illness, but mental illness is different. And what do you think makes it different? You know, like mental illness, you know, if someone appears to be different than us, uh, you know, society feels uncomfortable about mental illness. It's not like any other illness, heart disease or cancer, and it's almost a disapproval. So you'd feel that sense of disapproval and you'd feel embarrassed? I would, I would, and I would feel that, you know, um, like I, I do well at my job, I will say, and, you know, I think that it would all be taken away from me. And that's just the way I feel, and I, I don't want to have that. When you say it would be taken away from you, do you mean like you'd lose credibility? Like yeah. they wouldn't take you seriously yeah. anymore? Uh-huh. That's what so many people that I work with tell me is they feel like once you are sort of stigmatized with the label of mental illness, people can't hear you anymore. They don't take you seriously. They don't listen to you with the same exactly. respect. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I get my calls listened to, uh, monitored. I get four calls listened to every month. And I don't know if they'd be judged just like they are now. Um, would they be looking for something? Would they, you know? So you don't want to set yourself up to be vulnerable, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. So how did you know the one person that you did have the courage to tell, how did you know that that person would be safe? I knew her because uh, she's told me a couple of things, and she's always said, don't tell anybody. So then I told her a couple of things. This has nothing to do with my illness. I told her a couple of things that she's never told anything. Yeah. And then just one day, I just said, you know what, you know, I'm just, I just feel so down today. I, you know, I suffer from depression. And then since then, I mean, she doesn't know the whole, you know, my whole history or anything, but I do trust her. And I even told her that I'm doing the radio show, and it felt so good because I got to tell somebody. <laughs> my girlfriend, my best girlfriend knows, but I got to tell somebody, you know, somebody else. So it sounds like, so she didn't, dis she didn't disappoint you. She, she oh, no. And you know what? She says, actually, she says, you know, my grandfather, he suffered from uh, depression, and so did my uh my aunt or something, and she suffered from depression, and she says, I know exactly what you mean, and uh, I told her a couple of things, and you know, and she's, there's no shock factor there, and it, and it felt so good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm struck, I, I have a question I want to ask you, and sure. it may be, if it feels too personal, Deb, then I just want you to, to tell me, and we won't go any further. Sure. But I'm struck just in the moment now, listening to you and thinking about your experience as a child, you said to me that you'd been sexually abused as a girl. And I know from reading your writings that part of the part of what was so awful about that was that when you had the courage to tell, you were not believed that the response from your parents was very unhelpful to that, you. Right. That's right. And it'll forever be my, my in my thoughts. I was sexually abused and it was a neighbor. And he, uh, he, you know, he used to babysit us, and my brother and I, he was, my brother was only, you know, a year old, and uh, he would come over and babysit us, for, and we happened for about two years, and I finally, you know, thought I was going to tell, and my mother and father would embrace me and say, that's okay, and they went over and confronted him, and he, um, he denied it, and then they uh, came back and said that I was causing trouble and go over and apologize. So, um, you know, uh, it makes me sad and it makes me mad. And uh, I, uh, I know I've lived with that forever. And I think, how could anybody, how could any parent do that? What would I have had to gain? 
<clears throat> that was from six years old to eight years old. What would I have had to gain? And I don't know. Anyways, it was in the 60s, and I'm not really excusing my parents for the 60s, but anytime, any time. Anyway, I, I don't know why. You know, I don't know what they would have gained. Part of, what, part of what's so powerful, uh, you know, we, we did a series here on trauma, and one of the things that we learned about it over the winter was how important it is, the response, when a child has the courage to come exactly, forward. Exactly, exactly. And that the response to the story may be almost as important as the experience itself. And it sounds like the response that you got was just so damaging and so painful. Yeah, it is. And then the next day, they actually had them over, him and his wife, over for supper. So I'm sitting across from this person and I'm going what is this you know you're just you're a child but you're almost like an adult going what is this and you know that like what a slap in the face Mm. so I find myself wondering you know now I wonder if part of your fear around I mean there's the stigma about mental illness is is obviously so powerful and important I wonder I wonder if partly your your deep caution around sharing your experience also stems from it, the, the genuine, you know, yeah. horrible response you had as a child when you tried to tell something very courageous and personal. Yeah, well, you're just so trusty. And actually, I want to mention, too, though, the stigma. Uh, I had my first state, uh, taste of stigma in my own family. Uh, during my years in the hospital, my brother-in-law, my husband's brother, cut ties with us, and he was afraid uh, for his family because of me. And I was never violent. And then every Christmas, he would send a, a card with only my husband's name on it, mine would not appear. So that kind of hurt. No kidding. So almost like you didn't really exist. Exactly. You know, I don't. I don't want to put her name on it. I don't know what that was proving, but I thought that was just very, very mean. Just stigma there. Stigma right there. Yeah. So when we talk about stigma in that case, your sense was that he was afraid that you know you would be a violent person because you suffered from depression. I don't know. I guess he must have a preconceived. Um, idea about what uh, mental illness was, what depression was. Maybe he thought I was going to be violent with the children. I don't know. But I just don't understand, okay, maybe he cut ties, but why did he have to leave my name off the Christmas card? Right. It's hard not to understand that as anything but intentionally hurtful, right? So yeah. I want to shift gears, Deb, because I realize we don't have much time left. And sure. I, I was so inspired by your blog, and um, I'm curious to ask you about your decision. It sounds like someone told you about this while you were in the hospital. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I would be probably out on passes, and I started doing, you know, a lot of um, writing and everything. And uh, so somebody had said to me, like, in the hospital, why don't you do a blog? And I, I said, blog. And, you know, blogs are great. Blogs are therapy. If anybody out there at all, you know, has writings, has anything that they're interested in, blogs are wonderful. You don't have, a, have, have to have, a, you know, a, a blog that's um, for people outside. You can have your own blog. Blogs are wonderful to get your writings out there. And so how has it affected you? Diane, you've been writing since you were 15, but how has it affected you personally to have your work be public and out there like that and be read by so many? I feel fantastic, and um, the the one thing that I, I love most <clears throat> is the comments I get. Um, I'll write a I'll write a, an article on say suicide. I've wrote an article on the you know the sexual abuse. I've wrote an article on depression, on you know so many things, and I've got response back, and that means the world to me to get responses back because you know that you're on the right track, and people are actually you know reading your your material and understanding what you're saying so really and i know there's people out there like me and um 
and I like to respond back to them. So it really does mean a lot. And do you ever get responses that you don't anticipate, or are there, have there been surprises for you? Oh, yeah. Um, I get some angry ones sometimes. Um, the, um, the suicide is the biggest. People don't like that. Uh, people don't like the suicide one. What do they uh, not like about it? Uh, they don't like about it because they think I'm uh, condoning it. And what I'm trying to get across is this is what happens. And I have my own opinion, and they have their own opinion. But uh, some of them I've actually deleted because they've gotten really bad. Uh, very, you know, actually profanity. And I've had to um, not keep them on my block. So I read your suicide piece, and um, part of what it seemed to me that you were trying to say was you were trying not to judge people, that people who get to that point are in such despair. Exactly. The whole thing about suicide is, for me anyways, is why would anybody want to kill themselves? Why would anybody be in that situation? Why would you want to do yourself in if you're not, if you're so at the end of, you know, at the end of life, you just are so, you know, you just... Who would want to do that? Who would want to let let themselves be out of their whole life? So, I mean, you have to be compassionate in a lot of things like that. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like some people confuse compassion with actually condoning it. There's no compassion there. That's the thing. And uh, that's where I get the writings. That's where I get the negativity is is in that. So I haven't gotten so much lately because it's kind of buried in sort of the... 2008 <laughs> years, but, but as soon as it comes brought up again, <laughs> not very good. So, Deb, we're going to have to stop, but I want to thank you so much, both for being my guest and for sure. the work that you're doing and sharing these very painful and poignant experiences. And if people want to read your blog or they want to send you a comment, why don't you give us the address again, please? The HTTP um, slash slash, it's uh, cherished uh, 79wordpresscom uh, Great. So cherish79.wordpress.com. That's right. And you can go right into 